from the heart of our nation's capital. Here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, happy Monday and welcome to Washington Watch. Glad you could join us. I do hope you had a great weekend. Members of the House of Representatives are at home this week for what's called a district work week. This allows them to have meetings with constituents uh, like town hall meetings. So call their offices and see if they have any town hall meetings scheduled. And if so, be sure and attend them. This is one of the most effective ways to hold elected officials accountable. The Senate, however, is in D.C. this week, and uh, that means there will not be any shortage of news. And speaking of news, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and a handful of Democrat lawmakers made an unannounced trip to Ukraine. Our congressional delegation, it's an honor to meet with you, to thank you for your leadership and courage, to commend the Ukrainian people for their outstanding defense of democracy. And we are here to say to you that we are with you till this fight is over. While the speaker has been commended for making the trip, it is highly unusual for a congressional trip to not include members of the other party. The absence of Republicans has prompted questions and some criticism. We'll take a closer look at the trip with Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe, who is a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And Congressman Stubbe is also pushing for a vote on his bill, Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act. The measure would establish the, what some would say, unbelievable standard that only biological females can participate in female sports. I hope you caught the tongue-in-cheek there. What a commentary on where the left has taken this country, that we have to have an act of Congress to say girls' sports are for girls, real girls, not girly men. Anyway, we'll talk about that a little later, too. And I've heard the question asked many times, what does a post-Roe world look like? Mississippi, the state that gave us the current case that is before the Supreme Court that could overturn Roe, is helping answer that question. This legislation, which is the first of its kind, is something our pro-life allies and other states can look to as they search for new ways to defend the right to life. That was Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves at the signing of the Pregnancy Resource Act. Governor Reeves joins us in just a little while to explain what the new law does. And they're back. Remember the Finnish member of parliament that we've talked about so much, Pave Razanen? She was acquitted of charges of hate speech for tweeting a Bible verse, among other things. Well, the prosecutor in the case announced on Friday she would appeal the unanimous court decision acquitting Pave. We'll talk with a member of her legal team, Lorcan Price, with ADF International. And in case you missed it, which I'm sure most of you did, Admiral Richard, a.k.a. Rachel Levin, the Assistant Secretary of Health, was on NPR last Friday. No doubt defending his own transgenderism, Levin said medical experts are unanimous in saying children confused about their sexuality should be given hormone treatments and surgeries. There is no argument about the value and the importance of gender-affirming care. There is no argument. There is no argument. Um, Levin is not only confused about male and female, he's also confused about the facts. And we'll talk about those facts with Dr. Quentin Van Meter, president of the American College of Pediatricians. While the Biden administration and their allies on the left create this dangerous make-believe world where you can define your own reality, often with deadly consequences, there is some good news. Americans have had enough. Parents, lawmakers, and sane people in general are pushing back. 
Nowhere is this pushback more evident than in the battle for the classroom. FRC's Meg Kilgannon joins me later to talk about that. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything on your way home, it's right there or later. Just uh, point others to TonyPerkins.com. They can find lots of resources. Now, ladies, I know you know this, but next Sunday is Mother's Day. And if you live within driving distance of High Point, North Carolina, I have a suggestion. Tell your husband, son, or boyfriend that a great Mother's Day present would be for them to attend FRC's Stand Courageous Men's Conference, which is next Friday night and Saturday. I mean, what, what better Mother's Day gift than a man who will walk with the Lord, love his wife, and lead his children? And the sooner men start that process, well, the better. To find out about the Stand Courageous Men's Conference in High Point, North Carolina, on May the 6th and 7th, simply go to standcourageous.com. Okay, our verse for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is found in Judges chapter 2. It's verses 10 and 11, and it reads this way. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served false gods. Each generation must know who the Lord is, what he has done, and what he requires, or a nation will lose its way. This requires parents and grandparents to follow the directions that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it instructs us to teach our children to walk with the Lord. You know, nothing is more important for the well-being of a family or for a nation, nothing, than to teach our children to know the Lord. If you've not already joined our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, I invite you to do so. Simply go to frc.org slash Bible. You can also join me Monday through Friday for a brief devotional based upon the daily reading plan. The devotional can be found at the bottom of my Facebook page or at the bottom of my website, TonyPerkins.com or on the Facebook page. Now, over the weekend, as I mentioned, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi led a small group of senior House Democrats on a secret visit to Ukraine that included a meeting with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky and other top officials in Ukraine's capital city of Kiev. In a statement, the group said, quote, our delegation traveled to Kiev to send an unmistakable and resounding message to the entire world. America stands firmly with Ukraine. With me now to talk about all of this and more is Congressman Greg Stubbe. He is a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and he represents the 17th Congressional District of Florida. Congressman Stubbe, welcome back to the program. Yeah, hey, Tony, thanks for having me. Now, Congressman, I've been on some CODELs. I've led some CODELs, and normally these are bipartisan. In fact, this is the first time I recall seeing a a congressional trip that excluded one party of Congress. Have you seen this before? I've never seen this before. I, you know, I've only been in Congress for two terms, but it was my understanding because I, I tried to set up my own codels that they had to be bipartisan, that the rules required them to be bipartisan. If you didn't have a Democrat colleague or for Democrats, a Republican colleague that was going to participate with you, you couldn't have the codel because the whole purpose of them is to have a bipartisan trip wherever you're going. Uh, I'm on the Foreign Affairs Committee. I certainly wasn't invited to this trip. Uh, I don't think that there was a number of members that were invited, and obviously they didn't have a single Republican, which is very telling that Pelosi didn't want Republicans there. I'm sure she could have found somebody on the Foreign Affairs Committee like myself to go. I'm sure there's a lot of members that are Republicans on the Foreign Affairs Committee that would have gone. 
Now, again, I, I think it's it's great that she went in terms of communicating the support of Congress on this, but it does raise lots of questions as to why one or two Republicans, I mean, th- there's a couple of Republicans she could have picked that probably would have sang her song, but what would you suggest would be the rationale for not including Republicans in this trip? Well, everything that Speaker Pelosi does uh, has a political motivation in it. And so that picture that you saw, she posted on Twitter or social media of her and those other Democratic uh, members walking up the steps with Zelensky um, obviously was a complete political motivation to show that only Democrats stand with uh, Zelensky and the Ukrainian people. And it's it's very obvious that there was Republicans missing from that. So clearly that was intentional. If she wanted Republicans to be there, a Republican would have been there. Um, I'm sure just about every member of the caucus, if they didn't have something else going on, would have loved the opportunity to go there, especially those of us that are on the Foreign Affairs Committee. They've now done two or three trips um, there. This is the third or fourth one that I'm aware of where I, I, as a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee, haven't been invited. There's been other members of the Foreign Affairs Committee that are Republican that haven't been invited as well. Yeah, I I mean, look, I I don't want to be critical all the time, but I do think she opens herself up to criticism for not following normal protocol and inviting other members of Congress of the other party. And so I, I, I think this is it leaves me to believe that this is political. It is about uh, kind of bolstering the sagging Democratic numbers in the polls because they're seen as weak on foreign policy and they've led us down this path. You look at Afghanistan, you look at all of this, and I think, I, I think they, wanted, uh, they wanted all the spotlight. That's my take on it. Of course. And again, if she wanted a Republican there, there would have been a Republican on the Foreign Affairs Committee that would have that would have been there. I would have gone. I'm sure there's a number of other members that would have gone. And that's not what she wanted. Uh, Clearly, it was intentional that not a single Republican go there. And now that's all on her. That's a decision that she has to make. And, And from my understanding of the rules, it requires you to have somebody from the other party there. All right, Congressman Stubia, I, I want to ask one more question. This, I want to move on to your bill that you're trying to get a vote on the House floor regarding. But she pushed for the um, additional spending for Ukraine, the twenty million, uh, twenty billion rather, in military assistance, eight point five to bolster uh, Ukrainians' economy, and three billion in humanitarian aid. But in the conversation, she said this. She said, we're also working on the coronavirus pandemic response simultaneously, and it's yet to be seen if these two will be connected. Is this another effort to force uh, Republicans to vote for bad domestic spending in order to show their support for Ukraine? Oh, absolutely. That's how she plays the game. She she shoves 2,800 pages worth of spending uh, into one bill and, and makes you have to take a bad vote against, say, Ukraine weapons uh, versus more COVID spending that some of which hasn't even been spent yet. That's absolutely the way that they operate as the Democratic majority. I would not be surprised at all if that's what she ends up doing. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about COVID spending. And even in her own party, there's been some pushback amongst Democrats to do another round of COVID spending when no more mask mandates. Uh, We saw recently flying uh, nationally, you don't have to wear a mask, all these different things that have been pulled back. Why would you do another spending bill on COVID? So it would make sense that she would try to lop that into something that most of the members would want to vote for. Now, Congressman Stubbe, next month marks the 50th anniversary of Title IX of the education amendments of the 1972. Um, and, and this deals with education. It deals with 
um, discrimination based on sex uh, in funding for uh, education. Um, you have a measure that is designed to protect women and girls in sports. Uh, very quickly, tell us about it. Yeah, I filed a bill that would allow and, and require that only biological women can compete in women's sports. And like you said in your monologue in the beginning, the thought that we actually have to do this in Congress and say to the American people and to governments and universities and otherwise that only biological women can be competing with biological women in women's sports, uh, you, you would think that we are in a completely different uh, universe. But it's unfortunate that we are there, but we are there. Uh, and I think it's important that young girls who compete collegiately or athletically shouldn't be forced to compete with biological men. Of course, Speaker Pelosi isn't going to hear my bill and work it through the process. So we filed a discharge petition on the floor of the House of Representatives. If we get 218 signatures on the discharge petition, it will force a vote on the floor of the House. And uh, I'm hopeful to get every Republican. And once we get every Republican, start working on the Democrats. And just in four days, you picked up 107 signatures. So you're well on your way. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would like our viewers and listeners to call their member of Congress and tell them to sign on to your discharge petition. Yeah, absolutely. If you, any of your viewers can help with that, that would be great. We want to put pressure on the Democrats to have them be forced to vote on this bill uh, that, that would not allow biological men to compete with young girls in sports. Makes perfect sense to me, and we'll do just that. Uh, Greg Stubbe, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, good to see you. All right, coming up, the governor of Mississippi has signed into law a first-of-its-kind measure. He's going to tell us about it next. Don't go away. We're back after this. Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and, and consequently, we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association, which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of Hope for Your Home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Do you know there is a North Pole and a South Pole? After you reach either one, you start traveling in the opposite direction. Now let me ask you, is there an East Pole or a West Pole? No. When you start going East, you'll always be going East. The same is true if you're traveling West. So listen to Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the East is from the West, He has removed our transgressions from us. Isn't it wonderful to know that even though we sin, we do not have to live under the guilt or the embarrassment of our sins? Confession and repentance are honored as we trust in Jesus. He erases our sin and forgives us. Then He removes the guilt and shame of sin as far as the East is from the West. For a Christian, that is great news and a great promise. Amen. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at HopeForTheHome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home. 
The following are real life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. The governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, recently signed into law a first-of-its-kind bill that creates $3.5 million in tax credits for individuals and businesses to use in support of donations for nonprofit pregnancy resource centers and crisis pregnancy centers throughout the state. Now, during the signing of the Pregnancy Resource Act, Governor Reeves talked about efforts to find new ways to defend the right to life and how being more pro-life is about being more than just being anti-abortion. As I said in my State of the State this year, being pro-life is about more than just being anti-abortion. We must take all available avenues to build a culture of life. You see, and I think Mississippi is modeling how states should go forward. Now, recall that the Dobbs case that is before the Supreme Court right now came out of Mississippi. It was their 16-week uh, ban on abortion, their pro-life law that made all the made its way all the way to the Supreme Court. That decision is going to come down any day. Now, Mississippi's not waiting for that. They're modeling what it looks like in a post-row world, and that is meeting the needs of women who find themselves in unwanted or crisis pregnancies. Joining me now to talk about what his state is doing to build this culture of life is the governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves. Governor, welcome back to the program. Hello, Tony. Thanks for having me on, as always. Well, let's start first. Just describe what the Pregnancy Resource Act does and how it works. Well, it's actually a program that creates $3.5 million of tax credits such that individuals and businesses uh, that choose to can make those contributions to the 37 um, pregnancy crisis centers around our state. Uh, and and this pro- will provide the necessary funding for those individual crisis centers so that they can then provide services to those individual uh, moms that, as you mentioned, some of whom are in crisis pregnancies and some of whom are not. And so what we did once uh, we um, went through the, the, the Dobbs case and, and heard the, the oral arguments, we, we knew then that it was very important in Mississippi that we show the, we, we show the way that we, that we lead uh, when it comes to um, setting up a, a scenario in a post-Roe v. Um, Wade world. And so that's one of the things that, um, that we're working very hard towards. 
Uh, we, we started by identifying a map of Mississippi and, and then figuring out exactly where these uh, um, crisis centers are located. Uh, we identified 37 of them. And so they're in every single region of our state. We have 82 counties in Mississippi. And so we have approximately one for every three counties. We think that needs to expand. And we think with additional funding, such as uh, this particular tax credit, um, that we can see uh, more and more of those. But again, it's all about creating that culture of life, recognizing that, um, that some uh, individual expected mothers uh, perhaps uh, are become expected mothers with, um, and it's not their plan. And that we as a society, we as, as, um, we as uh, people of Mississippi, and quite frankly, we as Christians uh, need to find ways to make sure that we offer as much support as possible uh, for those expected mothers. So, Governor, does this kind of work like the uh, educational scholarship fund where people can kind of earmark a portion of their tax liability to go toward these uh, crisis uh, pregnancy centers? That is exactly the concept, Tony. It allows for individuals and businesses to make those contributions, and then they get a dollar-for-dollar tax credit on any state tax liability that they owe. Um, So that way, uh, it's it's money that is uh, never actually received by the state, and so it actually is money that is um, contributed uh, to primarily charitable organizations. Most of these 37 pregnancy centers uh, are, are um, C3s, and, and therefore you can make those contributions uh, and you get a, a tax credit on any state tax liability that you might owe. And, and we know f- across the country there's about 2,500, 3,000 of these uh, clinics across the country that are serving uh, men, women, and, and children. And the return that local communities get and states get in terms of, as you said, they're all privately funded, so it's not a burden on the state. I I think this is a great model, Governor, going forward of, you know, Mississippi could be the state that causes uh, Roe to be uh, relegated to the dustbin of history. But you're already paving the way forward in how we need to operate in a post-Roe world. And I, I just have to say, I commend you, Governor, for your leadership. Well, thank you. We think that's very important. We 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 clearly uh, are leading the way. We we passed uh, the the ban on abortions at 15 weeks. That is before the United States Supreme Court in the Dobbs case. But we also argued in that case that we believe that that Roe v. Wade was uh, incorrectly ruled upon. Uh, we believe that the justices got it wrong some 50 years ago. And, and because of their wrong decision, some 62 million American babies have been aborted. And therefore, uh, we think it's incredibly important that we went before the court and that we asked them to overturn Roe. But we also believe that if we're going to create a culture of life, that that creating that culture of life is about more than just being anti-abortion. Being pro-life is about more than just being anti-abortion. Um, this is a both and. We believe we are anti-abortion, but we also believe that we need to provide help and we need to provide resources. And, and quite frankly, we need to provide counseling uh, to those expected mothers. Um, and, and what you saw in that clip that you showed earlier when, when I did my press conference signing the bill into law is you saw a lot of people uh, that were standing behind me that really, really care about those um, moms and, and those potential moms 
and and they really want to help them pr provide for their for their babies and and provide resources uh, for for those uh, newborn babies, but also the moms as well. And that's really, I think, what uh, the Bible calls upon us to do as Christians. I think you're absolutely right. And there is an army, a compassionate army out there ready to serve. And you're, you're teeing it up for them, Governor. Look forward to uh, more creative ideas coming out of Mississippi. And I hope other states will follow suit. Governor, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks as always. Have a great day. You too. Coming up, the Bible trial in Finland is back as the country's top prosecutor on Friday appealed the unanimous March 30 decision that dismissed all the hate speech charges against Pave Rosinet. So what's next? We'll talk about it here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. The communist government has spoken. There's no room for Christianity within the walls of China. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and the man named Katsu is an evangelical pastor, a little more than 50. He serves outside of Beijing. I won't identify his village. But I would guess he has been beaten in jail 25 times over the course of his ministry. Most recently, they beat him so severely he could not get up for a week. They let him go and told him to never speak of Jesus again. About a week later, a knock came on his door. He was somewhat reluctant to open it, but he found Hayo the bitter atheist interrogator who beat him terribly had one question that burned in his heart all week long. Why were you at such peace when we were beating you? So Katsu would open his door, open his Mandarin Bible, and lead this bitter atheist to faith in Christ together. They've witnessed thousands coming to Christ who all need Bibles in China. At $5 a Bible, would you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. Work. Introducing AFA Streaming, a new online platform that hosts all AFA's video content, including documentaries, church curriculum, American Family Radio shows, and our Cultural Institute series. The Constitution only works in the atmosphere of Christianity. Critical race theory and intersectionality are new religious frameworks. The Christian must say, as Paul said to the Galatians, there is no new gospel. AFA Streaming is a vital step that we are taking to fulfill our vision to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. You'll find top-notch resources that address the issues of our day related to marriage, family, the sanctity of life, and many others. Start streaming today, streaming.afa.net. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. I hope you will visit the website. Lots of resources there for you. Finland's top prosecutor made good on her word Friday, appealing the unanimous March 30 decision by the Helsinki District Court that dismissed all, all hate speech charges against Finnish member of parliament, Pave Rosinen, uh, whose court battle has been dubbed the Bible trial. Now, in this case, uh, well, I guess I should ask the question, is this case headed for Finland's Supreme Court and perhaps even the European Court of Human Rights? Some think so. Joining me now to discuss this is Lorcan Price. He's the legal counsel at ADF International, which has been supporting um, Pave's defense team. 
Uh, Lorcan, welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, good evening, Tony. Thanks so much for staying up late. I know it's late there in Finland. Uh, unlike many other legal systems, under Finnish law, the prosecutor can appeal not guilty verdicts all the way to the Supreme Court of Finland. Um, is that what you expect here, that this will go all the way to the Supreme Court? Yes, unfortunately, that is what we expect. Um, this case is now headed to the Court of Appeal first. Um, that's the next stage after the district court. But because of the legal issues raised in the case, we expect it to go to the Supreme Court. And the, re the reason for that is that really this prosecutor has determined to pursue both uh, Pivey and Bishop Johanna uh, to the maximum extent of the law for expressing their Christian beliefs. And uh, if we're not victorious in the Finnish court system, then you're also correct that we may find ourselves going to uh, the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg in France. So th this legal battle, unfortunately, is not over, despite the fact um, that we had a very clear and, and, as you pointed out, unanimous decision from the district court dismissing all of the uh, hate speech charges. Now, how often does that happen where you get a unanimous dism decision dismissing charges, acquitting someone and it being appealed. How often does that happen? Well, it, it's it's very unusual in most legal systems. Um, uh, in the common law world, that is the United States, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Australia, Canada, it's, it's highly unusual and, in fact, almost impossible for a prosecution to appeal a not guilty verdict. Normally, if there's an appeal, it's something to do with the sentencing, if they argue that it might be too lenient, but that's where a guilty verdict is returned. However, in Finland, um, the prosecution has this extraordinary power to appeal verdicts that are not guilty, and they can do it on 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 not on narrow grounds, but on a very wide grounds. So what we're, we're seeing in this uh, appeal, and, and we've now received the documents from the prosecution side is that they're contesting every single issue uh, from the district court. This means that Pivey will have to go back through everything to do with uh, the, the, the tweet um, the, of, of, of the, uh, the letter to the Romans, of her pamphlet uh, published in 2004, and of the remarks that she made on a radio show. And it, it just means that all of the matters that were dealt with will have to be relitigated essentially now before another panel of judges in another court. Um, it's an extraordinary waste of public resources, of uh, court time, and it's also putting uh, very significant pressure again on, on Pivey and Bishop Johanna, even though um, you know they thought the matter was to, to some degree closed. But this prosecutor seems to have uh, what I think is really approaching um, a, a campaign against these two prominent uh, Christian um, uh, politicians, public figures, really because they have made this trial all about their, their right to freedom of expression and freedom of religion. And I think that has embarrassed uh, the Finnish prosecutorial service. And that's why, in particular, the prosecutor general is pursuing this matter as, as far as she can go with it. Lorcan, remind our viewers and listeners what the outcome of this could mean for free speech, religious freedom in Finland and, and brought more broadly in Europe. Yes, it's, it's a very important case in Finland, um, obviously, because really what's at stake here is the ability of Christians to share uh, the good news of the gospel in public uh, without it being a criminal offence. And even though we, we had a, a victory at the district court, uh, the purpose of these type of hate speech prosecutions it isn't necessarily to result in a conviction, but to create a chilling effect 
for all Christians and others who want to express a view on particular matters to do with human sexuality that interrupts the modern worldview or that contradicts the modern worldview. And I think in, in this case, um, it's absolutely crucial that we secure a good precedent uh, from the Finnish Supreme Court, ultimately. Um, and if it does go to the European Court of Human Rights, that we secure a good precedent there. Because Christians across Europe uh, are watching this case because the implications of it are so important. Uh, but I, I can say that Ivy and Bishop Johanna have been enormously strengthened by the prayers and messages of support they've received from around the world. So even though they were initially shocked that the prosecutor was appealing this decision, um, they've drawn great strength from that support and they're determined to meet the challenge of this uh, new appeal and take it as far as, as they must to vindicate their right to speak freely about the gospel in public. Uh, Lorcan, very quickly, we're up against a break, but how long could this process go? Well, we, we, we expect the, the, the next decision to be, or the, the, the next hearing rather, to be sometime in, in early autumn. And then the Supreme Court decision after, or the Supreme Court hearing after that will probably be early in 2023. Uh, they will fast track this case because of the important issues it raises. Um, and if we're victorious there, that, that will be the end of the matter. Uh, if it goes to the European Court of Human Rights, unfortunately, it, it could take two or three years before it's fully resolved. Wow. So we hope it won't come to that. Amazing. Well, we will continue to be praying for Pave. Let her know that, and we'll be praying for the whole legal team. Thank you, Lorcan, for staying up late and uh, giving us this update. My pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Folks, don't go away. Coming up, HHS Assistant Secretary for Health, Rachel Levine, says there is no argument among medical professional professionals over gender-affirming care for children. Really? Absolutely no argument? Well, thank you. Stay informed with what's going on in our nation's capital. Make a difference in your community and keep your friends and family up to date with Family Research Council's Stand Firm mobile app. This tool serves to bring Christians across America together, advancing faith, family, and freedom. With the Stand Firm app, you will have all of our content available at your fingertips and will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download FRC's Stand Firm app or by going to frc.org slash app. Too busy to catch your favorite shows on the radio? Have no fear, because the AFR app is here. Download the app to have access to live broadcast, music streaming, as well as each podcast. Whether you're at work, at home, or on the go, it's easy to listen to AFR. The AFR app is available not only for Apple and Android users, but also on Amazon Alexa and Roku. Download the AFR app today at AFR.net. Hi, I'm Mark Harrington, founder of the pro-life group Created Equal and host of Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show. Created Equal is all about saving the lives of unborn children. 
Each week, I cover the latest pro-life news and feature interviews with unsung heroes from across the nation who are making a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice. Join me every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for The Mark Harrington Show here on American Family Radio and discover how you, too, can help protect the lives of the most innocent among us. A Moment of Truth with Gary Bryden, Executive Director of the Association of Independent Methodists. A young bride found her prince, married him, and settled down for a life together. Five years later, their joy was broken when cancer quickly took his life at age 30. At age 26, this young wife found herself a widow with a three-year-old son, a two-year-old daughter, and a four-month-old baby. She had all the stages of grief to move through, but she found strength from her Savior. She and her parents moved in together and created a home where Christ was honored, where the children were educated, and all three were brought to Christ and married Christian mates. That's a mother to be honored, and one who I was happy to call mom. The Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. On Saturday, Rachel Levine, the Assistant Secretary for Health in the Department of Health and Human Services, who is the highest transgender individual in the Biden administration, spoke at the annual Out for Health conference at a gathering organized by health science and medical students in Texas. Now, prior to this speech, he went on NPR on Friday and made this comment about the issue of children uh, being treated for gender dysphoria. There is no argument about the value and the importance of gender-affirming care. There is no argument. Well, joining me is uh, someone now in the medical profession that I believe is among many who does have an argument against this. Here to discuss uh, this topic is Dr. Quentin Van Meter, a pediatric endocrinologist and president of the American College of Pediatricians. Uh, Dr. Van Meter, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be, uh, I've helped to discuss this particular thing that I also heard on the news. So is there no argument about the value and the importance of gender affirming care? Well, I would beg to differ. Um, We have spent uh, a great deal of time and effort, a number of individuals responding to the HHS uh, Biden administration uh, regulation number 1557, which is an addendum to the Obamacare uh, Affordable Care Act. And we have spoken eloquently and consistently and in large numbers against the mandate to affirm socially, medically and surgically uh, children who with uh, gender dysphoria because of the known uh, demonstrated harms of this particular uh, set of treatments, uh, even as simple as social affirmation, has been clearly shown to have detriment to the child. Uh, there is no scientific evidence that has really uh, been published. There are studies that have been published, but they are deeply flawed by being convenient samples from activist groups. And the, the actual clinical science from Sweden, which is the only place that's published, 
uh, true population studies, that is every single transgender patient in the healthcare system, they have found that there is absolutely no long-term benefit for medical and surgical and social affirmation. So uh, there is the science. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, representing 66,000 uh, pediatricians, has published guidelines that, have, that indicate affirmation is the only way to go and that any kind of counseling is unethical. This has been torn to shreds by uh, Dr. James Cantor immediately after those uh, regular or that uh, standard of care was produced by the American College uh, or American Academy of Pediatrics. So uh, the pediatricians that I speak to, and, I, and as an endocrinologist, I, I talk frequently about many other subjects uh, and, and give CME talks and uh, indications for treatment of various other kinds of conditions. And the pediatricians afterwards will come up to me and say, hey, what about this transgender business? I'm very uncomfortable. Is any of this real? So uh, there is no consensus. If, if, if Dr. Levine suggested there's a consensus, it's a grievous error. Uh, Dr. Van Meter, let me ask you this question, because it, it, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not just conservatives who are not in line with this, but even those who are, I would say, pro-LGBTQ question whether or not this is the best way forward driving these kids to hormone treatments and surgeries. Is that correct? Absolutely. There is a, a beautiful organization called the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine, or SEGM, and I, I would like your listeners and viewers to, to go online and look them up. They are a broad spectrum of political opinion individuals who, who do not use politics at all in their deliberations and their, and their evaluation of science, and they have condemned affirmation in minors uh, with very good uh, background and literature that supports their theory. So this concept that there's no you know, opinion against this in the medical community or among pediatricians is, is absolutely an untruth. Uh, again, uh, Dr. Van Meter, the, the, the studies that I have read, the research that I have seen suggests that these adolescents that are going through you know, almost what I call like the, 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 the black hole in space, kind of going through the reentry process where everything is just all discombobulated. 80% of them come out on the other side okay if we just kind of walk with them through. In fact, the, the process, as I understand, has been called just watchful waiting, just uh, helping these kids make the normal, trans, the, the, the normal journey into adulthood. Puberty is not a disease state. It's a very difficult time for pretty much everyone who goes through it because of, you know, physical changes that are part of going from a non-reproductive individual to a reproductive adult. And every, every one of these children, there's no question there is suffering going on, and, and we have deep compassion for these kids. But, you know, watchful waiting sort of sounds like you're not doing very much. But indeed, it is extremely important to support these kids with, you know, their families and their whatever faith background they may have or whatever uh, counselors are, are working with them to tell them, you know, hang in there that, you know, you are deeply upset about something in your life. And what we would like to do is work on those deep issues that are beneath the surface instead of putting the Band-Aid of transgender affirmation over the top of a volcano and then watching it erupt later on. So the, the, the real compassionate treatment is to not put that Band-Aid on the top, not to, to make it something that it clearly is not, has no biologic basis whatsoever, is a, is a mental health issue completely and utterly. Uh, despite the fact that people don't like to say that, it, that's where the truth is. 
So, Dr. Van Meter, is this an issue of science and medical issues, you said mental health issues, that has been hijacked and turned into a political issue? And the, there's an ideology that's on the side of affirmation that, that is, is, is passionate. Now, I don't think that anybody on the other side of the issue, the affirmation crowd, are mean-spirited uh, in terms of you know, wanting harm for their patients by affirming them. I think they firmly believe what, what their ideology says, but it's not based on science, and we cannot continue to treat children or have things happen on the basis of ideology. We've been there before in the 1970s with Dr. John Money at Johns Hopkins, and the outcome of that was disastrous. And that program was shut down and buried. I was actually there in training at the time that this was going on. And so we've had you know this 20-year uh, kind of quiet period where all of a sudden, as of about 2010, there's an explosion, uh, easily 250 to 500 times greater number of patients presenting with gender dysphoria. And so that, that in and of itself proves that there's no genetic basis for this. It, it's, the suffering is not because society is not accepting this as an option. Uh, the suffering is because beneath the surface, all, these kids, even in their convenience sampling, are, are shown to have an incredible amount of depression and anxiety at baseline. And that is in the studies that they have published that show that there is improvement. It is actually, there is no improvement when you actually analyze their data. Uh, and there are letters to the editor frequently that, that can you know, take these studies that are published to task. So right there, that tells you there's not a consensus. There is a significant uh, you know, concern on the part of scientifically based physicians who, whose idea is first and above all, do no harm. Dr. Van Meter, final question for you. Um, parents that see this, the signs of this in their uh, young children that are making their way through puberty into adolescence, what should they do? They should uh, find some good sources. And I think if, if we could send them all to SEGM, uh, that organization, they have a beautiful a resource book for the parents to kind of go through. The parents are being bullied. I mean, you know, the, the mantra of what would you rather have, a, a trans uh, female or a dead boy, uh, is, is just, it's bullying. It's not based on anything other than harassment and making the parents feel so badly that if they don't acquiesce and go along with the mantra, uh, they're going to have a dead child. And, and that is that is absolutely and utterly uh, despicable because it has no basis in truth. Dr. Van Meter, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, very enlightening. And now we know for a fact that there is not consensus on the, this issue. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. And, and, and folks, look, parents, don't second guess yourself. I mean, the, the kids are being inundated with these social media messages, Hollywood, everybody's promoting this. And I do believe it's it's to, to lock them in a path of destruction. And we, ha we cannot see this aside from the spiritual nature of this. Let, let's go back to the basics. God created. Jesus said this in Matthew 19. God made them male and female. That's where we start. God made them male and female. And we cannot see this apart from the spiritual aspect. And, and, and the enemy, and I'm not talking about political enemies, I'm not talking about anything other than the spiritual enemy of our soul, will do anything to destroy life. Satan seeks whom he can destroy. And so parents, don't second guess yourself. 
lovingly guide your children to the truth. Now, the Biden administration and their allies on the left are creating, I believe, this dangerous make-believe world where children can define their own reality, but it has deadly consequences. There was a 12-year-old girl in North Carolina that was pushed in this direction by policies at her school that encouraged her to embrace her new gender and keep and they kept her parents in the dark in the process. Well, Congresswoman Virginia Fox of North Carolina is raising a ruckus over this, and rightfully so. But she's not alone. Americans have had enough. Parents, lawmakers, and sane people in general are pushing back. Joining me now to talk about this is FRC Senior Fellow for Education Studies, Meg Kilgannon, who served in the U.S. Department of Education in the Trump administration. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Great to be here. So one of the areas that we see the battle raging, I think, most intently is in the public school classroom. Parents are pushing back. Lawmakers are pushing back. And we're seeing what I would describe maybe the early signs of the pendulum swinging. I think that's exactly right. And there are many, many people, Christians and conservatives, who are answering the call to run for office, run for local office, run for your school board, run for your county executive seat, and try to bring some common sense values to these institutions, um, which is wonderful. The other thing we're seeing on this is a huge shift of people who normally identify as Democrats saying, I'm never voting Democrat again because of these policies. I'm not voting for Democrats now moving forward uh, because this is crazy and I can't be associated with this kind of crazy policy. So when you have administration officials like Rachel Levine going to a Christian university and making the kind of crazed statements that she made, I can only think that that is going to further our ends better than it will further that transgender ideology ideology agenda. Well, it was uh, former Democratic uh, Speaker Tip O'Neill, I believe, who said all politics uh, are local. And yes. nothing is more local than the home when parents see their kids coming home with this this crazy stuff, this nonsense that they are being indoctrinated with. And I think that's why parents are, are pushing back so intently on this is because this has struck close to home. It's really important to realize that this kind of um, idea gets put into kids' heads in many different ways. And a lot of this is because of a lot of time spent online. But uh, And then they're, they, they, they come out to their friends as the opposite sex or gender. And then the first adult who affirms them in this fantasy that they are the opposite sex is usually someone in a school setting, a, an adult of authority in a school setting. Maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a counselor, maybe it's a social worker. And th then the, that, that adult moves the child through the process of social transition through many, many steps before parents are notified or told anything about the situation. And this is an incredibly dangerous turn of events. And you don't have to be a conservative to understand that that is irresponsible. It's disruptive to the family. 
uh, very dangerous. And we just, we can't have people in charge of children who advocate these kind of ideological positions. And the good news is parents are responding to this and uh, we see this happening all across the country. That's the really good news. Uh, parents are responding to this. They are engaging with their kids and, and addressing situations in their own homes. And they are taking the additional step. Uh, if, 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 if their household is all set, maybe they feel that they've been called to public service. And so we have yeah. lots of resources at, at frcaction.org schools to help people who want to consider running for office. And we hope that that you'll go to your school board meetings, pay attention to what's going on in the local school system. Even if you are a homeschooling family or your kids are out of the house, what happens in your public school matters for the entire, yes. entire community. And Good we advice. need Christians to be involved. Without question. Meg Kilgannon, always great to, uh, to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. You know, folks, I just find it amazing how, you know, we had to remove the Bible and prayer from elementary schools because kids were, you know, young kids are impressionable. Their minds could be impressed. Well, guess what? We removed the Bible. We removed prayer. Now we're putting in its places indoctrination that tells our children they can create their own reality by defining their own gender. I thought they were impressionable. Yeah, they are. And that's why the left has seized upon this. And this is why parents, you have to take responsibility over the education of your children. All right. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words that the Apostle Paul found at Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.